Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. I'm excited to introduce part one of a special three-part series about how brands should approach their digital and customer experience strategies, brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. Today, we're going to talk with One North leader, Kalev Pikna, about how brands must evolve their strategy to elevate the customer experience. Kalev, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so first, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and, and what you do at, at One North? Sure, I'm the chief strategist of One North, uh, which is a, a super fancy title and a way of saying that I lead the strategy discipline. Um, and strategy at One North is a multidisciplinary team. It includes brand, CX, UX, data, and technology. Uh, and we work in that deliberately multidisciplinary mode to help uh, clients uh, basically make the most of uh, digital for their for their brands. Great. So let's let's dive in here and talk about customer experience. Um, from your perspective, what what makes a great customer experience, and, and why is it so important to get that right? Yeah, such an important and somewhat philosophical question. Um, you know, it's it's one of those questions that can be really hard to find. It's one of those questions everybody wants an answer to, but it can be hard to answer. Um, you know, you might start with. Uh, you know, great customer experience is one that a lot of customers engage with and use. Um, but I think even as individuals, we all have experiences, um, maybe those are purchasing experiences or a, a service experience that we use frequently and, and still don't really like very much, right? Um, you know, I think like we did it for years with taxis before Uber came along. Now even Uber has its set of... Uh, I would say regular but disgruntled customers, people who routinely use it, but also complain about it. Um, right. And we have things like that in our life. So, so mere financial success or you know, just engagement um, isn't always enough, isn't really enough to, to designate a customer experience as great. 
when I think about it, I think it's I think a good customer experience is one that's not just uh, financially productive, but one that leaves the customers with a set of positive feelings and impressions and where those positive feelings and impressions are aligned to the brand itself. And specifically, so if they're, if they're experiencing um, a, a certain impression, such an impression that a brand is very smart, that should be aligned to that, to that brand's platform. Like if the brand is going for smart, that's what the customer should feel. If the brand is going for easy to use, that's what the customer should feel. Yeah. So it really comes down to those, really those end sentiment, sentiments once the experience is completed. You know, are they both positive and are they aligned? Yeah. So I, we certainly share the, uh, the sentiment here that the customer experience is important. And, and, you know, a lot of companies say, you know, there's signs, customers, number one and all that. So, you know, everybody seems to agree that customer experience is important and, and it matters. Why do you think it's often so poor? Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, I would say start of some, there are some brands out there that I don't think, do think it really matters. I mean, I think, think Spirit Airlines, like the airline industry in general is always a, a, a fun thing to think about in terms of customer experience. I think yeah. to some of the brands in that place, it does matter and they're competing on the basis of customer experience. There's some highly successful brands that don't even try to be, compete on the basis of the customer experience. They're competing on price point or like specific market availability or access, and that's fine. Um, but for the people who say and, and feel that they really want to commit, co commit to competing on the basis of a customer experience, why does it still end up being so terrible? Um, you know, there's any number of factors. Um, you know, one is the first one I said is that they're, they're really, they're, they're good at saying that, but they're really not good at, at deep, thick listening to what customers actually need. And so, you know, um, they might, for example, have a lot of customer service data. I don't think that's the same thing as CX data, but they might have, you know, a lot of that. They might have engagement data or sales data that they're looking at, um, but they're not really investing in this sort of qualitative um, research that uh, CX practitioners usually try to build into their strategy engagement. So they're not having uh, deep interviews, focus groups, um, you know, when I've talked to people in that resistance, when we propose that kind of research, the reasons are, are um, many. It often comes down to uh, price or speed to market. They're so desperate to move quickly that they usually want to skip over the listening or the research. Um, or, you know, they may simply convince that they're not going to hear anything they don't already know. Um, but it's it's extremely crucial to help people understand not just what the customer is telling you, and this is the trick to that that thick or ethno, ethnographic research that CX practitioners advocate. It, it's important to understand what the customer's needs are, not just what they say that they are, and it's important to understand what their frustrations are, not just what they think you know, not just what they tell you their frustrations are. There's a good CX practitioner will try to look at an experience, a customer experience from end to end and adopt an observational stance, right? They're not just asking questions like, what do you think of this brand or what do you think of this product or service? They're trying to observe how that person inter interacts with or engages with that product or service, how they use it, how they acquire it, and note the points of friction or the points of delight um, that occur 
um, in, t in a way for you or me that might just be automatic as individuals or customers, right? You know, I guess if you go back in airlines, like we all presuppose that the, you know, the check-in experience is what it is, the onboard experience is what it is, um, you know, and we have a tendency not to articulate a lot of frustration about things that we don't think can change, right? Right. Um, but if you're investigating, if you're looking for innovation, if you're looking for chances to disrupt, if you're looking for chances to change things, you know, you're not, your customers aren't going to tell you exactly what those ideas are. You know, what you'll only get are the most obvious, most salient pain points, right? Um, in which case, you know, you should definitely fix those, but all you're probably doing at that point is catching up. There are a lot of other structural reasons why these, uh, customer experiences go wrong. Um, sometimes even when you have the right listening, um, there's a lot of like debt in our customer experiences, <laughs> meaning like the, we're, we're a lot better at introducing new aspects to our customer experiences than actually letting go of the older ones, right? We're very nervous about disrupting any service or product experience as it is today because we're, we're worried that customers will just fall by the wayside. So we, we don't like taking away things. Um, and that's a very human, desire. It's why Marie Kondo has a career based on helping right. people <laughs> let, let go of things, right? Like, I actually think that's a, that's a deep-seated just psychological uh, desire, which is like, we don't like letting, we're so much, we're so much uh, better at acquiring new things than we are at letting things go. And it's the same thing with the customer experience. And what that leads to is I think a final point, and as I would say, like many of the customer experiences, especially the ones where people are really looking for innovation, lead to complexity. And it's not something that we actually enjoy as individuals or as customers. Um, most people don't enjoy complexity. We actually really enjoy simplicity um, for the most part. Um, but it's going to be really hard for brands, especially established brands, um, to introduce simplicity into their customer service uh, because they're really they're really allergic to letting go of um, older ways of doing things presenting things or even having people engage with things and I think it's that's very often the wedge that disruptors use for established brands to like unseat them which is yeah, introduce I mean, a customer experience that's radically simple in a way that the established brand would never entertain yeah and you know you you inferred and, and mentioned a little bit about some, you know, some structural things. And I, and I wonder there, it's the disruptors, not only do they have a novel initial approach, but they also don't have the baggage of departments and teams and applications, and yeah. the things that you're mentioning. And so it's sort of, um, it is interesting to see that the true disruptors, uh, they didn't even have the things to get rid of in the first place often. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, the, these legacy companies are kind of struggling to what do you do with the whole team that was their sole responsibility was something that ends up being a bottleneck in some customer's process, right? Right. Or what do you do with the leader who made, you know, at one point a few years ago, maybe made their name or got their leadership position based on the thing that someone else wants to now throw out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that's very often where the real resistance happens is at that mid to upper executive level. Um, because, you know, um, Sometimes what you want to simplify and get rid of are things that are not even just problems. You know, they might be fine, um, but in order to arrive at that kind of like magically simple customer experience, you you, you need to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, that's very difficult for larger complex organizations to entertain and execute. Yeah. No, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean firing the people either, but 
it can be hard for those those owners of those parts of the process or experience to really let go. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's shift to talk a little bit about more recent events and, and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how brands have adapted their customer experience strategy, um, you know, because of the pandemic and, and because of the, yeah. some of those customer behaviors that have shifted because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. It's been such a fun time to be a CX leader, a terrible time to be a human, right. but a fun time to be a CX practitioner, right? So terrible year across the board um, for all of us as individuals and not done yet, right? Um, right, right. But for people in CX, what was amazing was to watch CX and particularly like digital customer experience just leapfrog. So the, the most salient um impact the pandemic happened in in the acceleration of digital so you 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 know i was in 2019 talking about moving people and helping clients work on their cx to move to a digital first mindset to cx right we were talking and across dimensions if that cx effort was done like in a recruiting or talent space we were talking about helping people you know, rework the recruiting strategy to, you know, enable, you know, the presumption that we'd be using digital tools like all the Zooms and the WebExes of the world to, to handle interviewing and, and doing that because it was easier for recruits to schedule rather than um, going into offices or flying or that sort of thing. And we were talking about using um, digital tools to help with the application, the resume analysis, leveraging AI to reduce the complexity inside, you know, we were, that's just one example. We were doing it on customer basis. We were doing it in a marketing um, standpoint, um, and and digital first was really the mindset that we were going to you know most of our clients with. Um, and what happened was that I think over the course of like literally March to April 2020, um, digital first got completely leapfrogged, and we by necessity entered into like we have to go from. Um, also digital past digital first to digital only and we have to do it right now yeah. right so right. um everybody was required to establish almost completely digital means um and it had a lot of impact like digital means to people to access their products and services um and it had a lot of impact i mean a lot of that initial activity was very ad hoc and that's certainly understandable i think a lot of clients of ours and a lot of brands are trying to reassess, okay, since I did things fast, furiously in an ad hoc manner, how do I reintegrate this um, experience so that it feels more brand aligned, it is um, more positive so I can reduce some friction. Um, You know, other things that are interesting is that, you know, a lot of people really hadn't gone full force on issues of uh, accessibility and inclusive design in their experiences because they had been leveraging analog experiences to provide access. So if you think about, you know, you're trying to sell stuff through a website, if you have people that um, can't see or have like motion or like mobility issues, uh, I think here, like a lot of financial services, there was a lot of like, okay, we'll just go down to the branch. Right, that'll be how, and we'll be ready to service you there. And um, that became impossible, right? You couldn't like leverage your in-person physical part of your product or service experience to make up for shortcomings in your digital experience. Um, And so there's a lot of re-examination of those sorts of issues to make sure that your digital-only experience is truly complete end-to-end. 
Um, And I think people are still working on it in parts. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to, I guess to piggyback on that a little bit. um, So, you know, not only recently, you know, these, these brands have needed to change their, in some cases, massively upgrade, sometimes uh, modify a little bit their, their digital presence, but, you know, structurally, um, as you, you know, as we were talking about at the beginning, you know, not, these organizations are not always, um, let's, let's say agile, cause this is the agile world podcast. Um, not necessarily mm-hmm. agile enough to, um, uh, you know, to, to make quick changes, especially when, you know, customer experience, there may be, a you know, a CXO or, you know, head of customer experience, but, you know, as we all know, CX affects and, and involves multiple teams and multiple, um, applications and, and all that kind of stuff. So how how do organizations approach it? Like how do they change to be more adaptive and, and quick and, and flexible enough? And you know what how do you how do you work with an organization to to wrap their heads around how adaptive they need to be able to be? Yeah, one of the things that we talk about is that um methodology alone is not gonna save you, right? So yeah. um you can read any number of like agile books and, and follow the processes that they um, follow. But I think, you know, those methodologies come from a world of making execution and delivery um, more agile, <laughs> more right. flexible. Right. And they do a really good job of that. We're huge fans of it. Um, and there are ways to integrate and hook in certain strategy disciplines into like the overall sprint and epic rhythm. Um, but those methodologies in and themselves don't offer you easy ways to actually know where you're supposed to pivot when you need that flexibility, right? They offer you the possibility of a pivot yeah, it's not a and a reimagining framework. It's uh, yeah, it's it's not a brainstorming framework. It's not a strategy framework, right? right. Um, it's it's a framework that allows the delivery and execution to change when the strategy needs to change. Yeah. Um, but what we've seen is people kind of rely on agile itself and rethink and, and say, okay, well, we'll go to agile and that will make us more flexible and then we'll pivot. Um, well, you know, I think the pandemic really uh, saw people like push people into like, okay, there are certain strategies that are like super immediate, super responsive, but then once they're done with it and, and if they're facing those, once they're done with that ad hoc phase, which I think really happened even by the end of the summer in 2020, and they say, okay, now I want to make sure it's really great. You need to start joining up other disciplines, whether that's like um, from design thinking, um, which is something that we believe in. We don't practice it. And we like to say we're not strict practitioners. We're avid practitioners of design thinking um, or um, any number of the other strategy um, frameworks and disciplines out there. You need to make sure that um, you follow the right methodology for the right task, right? So if you're going to do design thinking uh, and use that to help generate the right sort of ideas and do the do the prototyping, um, you need to find a way to um, allow the outputs of that kind of framework to feed naturally into an agile framework. And that's something that we spend, um, we, we pay a lot of attention to. So we you know, knowing that our clients will expect to want to deliver within an agile framework, we try to make sure that our outputs as strategists um, feed naturally into that. So if we're producing a roadmap, um, you know, we, we feed into things that can more naturally become 
uh, epics or even user stories, or um, we can produce our roadmaps within a, in a framework that um, you know presumes that there will need to be, for example, an MVP and then releases or iterations beyond that. So yeah. we 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 do our part um, to set up agile for success from that framework. But what we have observed is that you you know going back to the first point is you you can't expect agile on its own to produce the new idea or the direction in which you should pivot that has to come from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talked about creating great customer experiences sort of at large. Um, what about that personalized customer experience? What, what do brands need to think about when it comes to that? Yeah, I mean, they've been trying, I, brands have been thinking about this for a long time. Um, I was joking with somebody, I think it's been more than 10 years, for 10 years, clients have been asking, or more, I think clients have been asking me for like Amazon-like personalization features. Um, and they've been implementing and experimenting. Um, they've been using, um, they've gotten a lot smarter about the data. They've gotten smarter about leveraging technology um, like AI in various forms to drive it. Um, you know, a personalized customer experience, like when you when you really think about it from end to end, is one that suits not just the individual and their need in the right context. And I think this is really what's on the edge when it comes to personalization is, you know, we've got a pretty good handle on, let's call it the demographic access aspects of uh, personalization, knowing who the person is along several different dimensions and trying to deliver products, services, or just content that is relevant to them based on those aspects of, of knowing who they are, right? Um, it might be classic demographics like, you know, age, income brackets, location. It may also be um, other things like what kind of job do they have? What kind of role or seniority do they have in that job? Um, you know, uh, all of those things might might drive the base to like who we are. The, you know, the the other dimension, which I think is a little bit more recent, that people begin spending smarter on, is basing it on behavior, right? So it's not just like who I know, but what I know about you demographically. Um, yeah. But you know, what has your behavior been? Um, you know, what are you? Uh, what are your habits? Um, how can I match? what I'm trying to deliver to you and, and fit it into your workflow as an individual so that it's not disruptive. So I'm not asking you to do something that's different so that you can encounter my product or service or content, um, what have you in a very natural way. I think the final edge is really about context. It's not about you know general patterns of behavior or who you are. The final one is like, what, what am I trying to do or actually accomplish at this specific moment? Um, and that's the the, the current bleeding edge of personalization. And it's hard, right? It really um, it takes a lot of data and smarts and some guessing um, to try to figure out what is a person doing? Are they, are they just browsing? How close are they to an actual purchase point? If they're looking for information, why are they looking for information? Um, and that requires a much fuller understanding, not just of the individual and their general preferences, but really of their journey and their overall experience. And that's where CX can actually come up, come in and really help with understanding your personalization strategy because a good CX engagement or, or strategy practice should be able to tell you not just who the person is, not just what their preferences are and their general habits are, 
but what their overall journey or pattern of behavior is and then for engaging with a product service or piece of information and having a really good um, data informed understanding of what their journey is is going to help you understand where they are at any given moment and then be able to personalize the experience to that moment yeah it's long-winded but i hope you understand that <laughs> yeah yeah no no that's and, and i guess to to kind of follow up on that so we we live i i call it consumers are, are device agnostic or even channel agnostic and you know so we're not only are mm -hmm. they switching between a bunch of devices but they're also switching between the digital and the physical world maybe maybe a lot less yeah. in pandemic times but um you know we're, we're coming out of it and and even even in some cases there's no way to avoid the the physical component of, of cx so how do you yeah um how do you work with companies there on you know does personalization play as much of a role and you know how do you work with with organizations to to make that that digital physical kind of blurring successful yeah no it's a very good point um you know picking up you know, from what I was saying, like context used to mean, I'd say in 2013, around the time that responsive design became a thing, right. um, you know, it used to mean a lot of like paying attention to the device somebody was using and a lot of attention was paid attention to, we paid a lot of attention to device switching as a behavior, which is something we do very naturally. Um, the last statistics I heard is like 12 to 15 times a day, on average, a person might switch between a phone or a computer and a tablet. Um, and they expect it to be completely seamless. That much we've known for a while, but uh, you raise a really in important point, which is that they also expect a seamlessness between a digital uh, and analog experience. Um, and by what we say seamless is very straightforward from their point of view, which is they expect it to just be one experience, <laughs> right? Yeah. So organizationally, we may think of like, okay, I've got a physical experience and I've got a digital experience and there are different leaders and different groups working on that. Um, and you're struggling with this, like, how do I integrate it? But from the user's point of view, it's straightforward. They're just buying one product, one service, whatever. It's just one experience to them. They don't know about or care about the back of scenes complexity. And we actually saw a lot of that with the pandemic, right? Like um, with the like sort of firing up of, um, you know, curbside pickup and things like that. I actually have a Great example from my own local bookstore. It's literally around the corner from me. Um, and I think they really nailed it. Um, in that, you know, it's a it's a it's been a long establishment there for several decades, great local neighborhood bookstore. Um, and you know, they had a website, but that just did some marketing. You couldn't really buy things from a webs from the website. You could maybe place an order through a contact form for some right. kind of special <laughs> book, but for the most part, you had to like go to them. And I never did that. And I was always really frustrated with it because I've, I'm one of those people that like really wants to try to, to buy local. And my partner's really good about pressuring me to buy local as much as possible, but it, it wasn't a great experience. Um, you'd go to the store, you didn't know if they had a book, you'd have to ask around, then you'd have to order it, then you'd have to wait a couple of weeks. And they pivoted very quickly to allowing ordering from their website um, of just about any book. Um, and 
now I prefer it because what they do is they allow ordering from the website. They reconfigure part of the store to create this pickup area. It's very quick. It's in, you're in, you're out. The wait time is sometimes in an hour. I don't even have to wait a day for Amazon to deliver it, right? Because if they have the book, I just get a notification saying it's here and I can pick it up on my own schedule, right? I can right. pick it up right when I get that notification or, you know, a couple days later when I happen to be walking that way. Um, and it's now become my preferred way to buy books because I think they, even though they're a small independent local bookstore, they've nailed this sort of seamlessness between what they're offering, what they're offering in digital um, and what they're offering in the physicals, the physical space. So I think the key to really getting to that alignment is to, con is to maintain that customer or user focus, right? It's, it's to, it's really key to recognize that it's still the same person. They're not a different set of customers. Um, and to them, it's one experience, right? So your journey mapping, your planning, your service blueprinting, whatever you're trying to do um, needs to keep that in mind. It's not, it's not about digital versus analog. And this is really where we've been pushing our clients. Um, that's an unhelpful division um, that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, you need to go in some sense post digital uh, and <laughs> We, we, we are actually talking to, I've, I've talked to active clients right now that, you know, this is the world they're in. As a result of the digital acceleration, you are now in a post-digital world where that term doesn't have as much meaning as it used to, because it's really just one experience to the user. Um, they don't see the difference. So they want one journey, one experience. Let's map it out. Let's create it. Uh, and if we can maintain that mindset, we can get rid of those weird borders and friction points that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you talked, you touched on this earlier a, a bit, but um, what do you think some of the lasting effects of the pandemic are, are going to be on, on CX? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, you know, I'm not overly fond of prognostication because I'm not always great at it but I'm going to give it a go. Sure, sure, go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it touched a little bit on this. I think we're going to, we're, we're entering a post-digital world in that sense. Um, and it's not digital because digital doesn't matter. It's post-digital because everything is digital. So yeah. why are we still using that word, right? Um, so I think that that's one thing. And I think that's going to affect, it doesn't affect just CX. Like that's the angle from which I'm coming at it today. But I think it's also going to affect concepts that are big in other areas um, that are probably prevalent to anybody who's pursuing agile, like things like digital transformation. Um, you know, I think even organizationally, you know, we have directors of digital, but if they're, they're directors of digital that are um, owning, you know, a subset of the product or services that are just digital, right? If they're on their own little island in silo, um, if that's on an expansive role, then you know, I think that there's going to be some instability in terms of how clients or how businesses and brands actually approach that. And I think a lot of that is a result of this extremely rapid uh, acceleration of digital transformation that brands can't walk back from now. Um, so I think that's one of it. I think other trends um, is, you know, diversification of of um, product and service sets is something that I think a lot of companies will be looking for. You know, I think the shock um, that the economy received in 2020 um, 
taught people that they can't overly rely upon a single delivery model, um, yeah. even if it is all digital, right? It's not, it's not good to have revenue streams and delivery models um, that even if they're great are um, susceptible to focused risks like what we experienced uh, in 2020. So I think people are going to be exploring ways to diversify how they deliver what they do. Uh, again, whether that's a product, a service, content, what have you. Yeah. Um, and I think there's going to be some really interesting exploration. The trick, of course, will be how do I maintain consistency of that experience? How do I maintain brand consistency, experience consistency, um, results, cons engagement consistency? Um, and so I think it'll be an interesting challenge. But I think, you know, uh, financially and structurally for the brands, it's, it's probably a good way to go. Well, Kalev, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Um... For those listening, uh, what's the best way for uh, people to keep up with what you and One North are doing? We have uh, yeah, a website, onenorth.com, which includes an ideas section that I am uh, more frequently requested to contribute than I actually have time to contribute to, but there are some recent articles. <laughs> I think the benefit of going there is that you'll be able to see um, thoughts from uh, truly multidisciplinary uh, thinkers and doers across our organization. So you'll you'll get to see um, and interact with thoughts from technology, from brand, from designers, uh, from strategists like myself. Um, and it, we're all thinking about the same things, but we're all coming at it from different angles. And I think that's part of what makes my work life so interesting. Great. Well, wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Kalev Figna from One North for joining the show. Uh, learn more about Tech Systems and their perspective at techsystems.com slash version next now. I'm Greg Kilstrom. Thanks for listening to the Agile World. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.